want to talk this morning about God. I want to do a series on the person of God. I tried to learn some new memory verses. Sometimes I'll be reading in the Bible and a verse will just kind of jump off the page. And I say, wow, I need to apply that to my heart, to my life. And um, this verse is found in the Psalms. And the verse says, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord. Your faithfulness surrounds you. There's nobody like our God. He stands alone. And and so we're going to look at Him over the coming weeks and all of His glory and splendor and who He is. And obviously I can't cover all of that. But I want to... I want to try to share with you from the scriptures about him. And this morning, this morning, I want to talk about the glory of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we want to look at his glory and what that means, what our role is in glorifying him. So as the scripture, I have a couple of verses here I want to share. So... Uh, we're going to look at Isaiah 42, but we're actually going to start with a verse from Psalm. Psalm verse, chapter 4, verse 8. So I'm going to ask you to put a finger there at Isaiah 42, but go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 4. And to stand in God's honor as we do so. Psalm 4, verse 2. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Now turn with me over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out in faithfulness. He will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth and his law. The islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, or my praise to idols. Let's pray. Lord, we need you today. We need you every day, Lord. So often we just don't understand. But Father, I just pray that you open our heart and our eyes to your word, to your truth. Father, I pray that you would say far more than I ever could. And that we would just catch a glimpse of your glory and that we are to give you glory instead of seek glory for ourselves. And I just pray you lead us in our time. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. I got to thinking first, we think about God's glory 
course, we think about a sanctuary. This we call a sanctuary. A sacred place set aside to meet God. A place that was built for that express purpose. I've heard some of you uh, call this place the, that holy place up on the hill. That place that's set apart for Him. I couldn't help but think of Dorothy as I thought of one of my favorite verses too, Dorothy. Psalm 27 verse 4 where David says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. And, and that is our desire here. In a very real way, when we come here, we plead with the living God, bring Your glory. Just, Father, reveal Yourself. Show Yourself in all of Your majesty and all of Your splendor. Just fill this place, God. Come and fill this place with Your glory. And, and that's very powerful and it's very real and, and it's an express need that we have each time that we come together. That is a certainly a, a crucial aspect of the glory of God. That He may reveal Himself as we come corporately. Uh, as you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, chapter 40, which is actually the last chapter there in the book, it talks about in that chapter about building a portable sanctuary, a tabernacle that was to house the glory of God. And it's as you go through chapter 40, and I'm not going to go through the whole chapter, but it talks about the details that God lays out to, to Moses and to Aaron to, to build this altar, this tabernacle, this place that's set aside for God. And you get to verse 33 near the end of the chapter. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Moses followed the instructions of God in preparing a place for God, a house for God. He finished the work. He did his role. He did his job. But it wasn't finished. Look at the next verses. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Everywhere that they went, they were led by the glory of God. That portable tabernacle, it wasn't just how beautiful it was. It wasn't just what a great job they did in the craftsmanship of preparing a beautiful place for God. It was the fact that God was there. It was the fact His glory was there. That the cloud of the glory of the Lord actually led them. And that's our hope now. That God, when we come together, will lead us. That He will guide us. Uh, Another verse I've been working on this week, Exodus 15, 13. It says, in your unfailing love, in your unfailing love, Lord, you will lead those you have redeemed. 
in your strength, you will guide them to your holy place. That's what happened then. And that's what happens today. Now, turn around, I want to come over to the New Testament now. 1 Corinthians, two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 6. Verse 16, actually, I believe. I should remember because there's some 316s that are pretty powerful in the Bible. So is 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? Now, turn over a couple of chapters to chapter 6, verse 19. As this is repeated, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, in the Old Testament, There was a temple, there was a portable tabernacle, there was a home that was created for God and His glory set there. His glory filled that place and His glory was where the people went to find direction and hope. But now in the new covenant, we are told that those who come to Jesus Christ, those who are born from above, those who are born anew, they become the new house of God, the new tabernacle of God. So if you're a a child of God, you're literally God's house. His sanctuary, His holy place that He fills with His presence and His glory and His Spirit. And the issue when we think of His glory this morning is the question, do we bring Him glory? Does your house bring God glory? Does your tabernacle worship God? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Is that what occurs in your heart? And in your life. The Hebrew word for glory literally means heavy. Now, think about that with God. He he is heavy with His authority. He is heavy with His love. He is heavy with His power. He is heavy with His knowledge and His wisdom and, and His greatness and His majesty. He is heavy. And His desire and His heaviness is, is to, to fill His people to radiate His glory through us, that they may look at your house and see that God lives there. That He is the one in charge of that house. That He is at work. As I thought of that, another verse I thought of was Psalm chapter 4, verse 2 that we read. The psalmist says, How long? How long, oh man, will you turn my glory into shame? As he's talking, he's talking about his people. He says, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you, who is supposed to house my glory, turn it into shame? He says, how long will you love delusions and seek false gods? And then it says, Selah, which means pause and think about that. So after he says it, he says, hey, don't just rush through this. Stop and think about this thought. He says, stop and ask yourself, is it God's glory or is there a shame of the living God? in your housekeeping, <laughs> in your life. When you think about delusions, I got to thinking about that, and, and I, you know, that's just a warped perspective of reality. 
It's how you see things, but it's not how it really is. He says, how long will you love looking at things in a warped way, which is leaving God out, which is not recognizing that He is heavy in His glory, in the fact that He is sovereign and that He rules and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. As he, as he talks, he says, how long will you love that delusion, that warped perspective that's not true, and seek false gods? A false god is simply anything but the true God. How long will he, will he be left out of what occurs in our lives? Our call is to glorify Him, not ourselves. And here's the bottom line with it. We can either be glory hogs or glory reflectors. And the call of Jesus is to be a glory reflector. To let His glory reflect from us instead of wanting the glory to come to us. Uh, As I was working on this message, I read about an event that happened in Josh McDowell's life years ago. Uh, When I was younger, Josh McDowell was... He was real popular and being used by God. Um, He would go and he would debate those who were not of the faith. He was a real sharp guy in his thinking skills. He had an opportunity to go to South America where the university was made up of a lot of Marxist students, a lot of people who were really mean to Christians and to Christianity. Matter of fact, an American hadn't been invited to that college in over four years. He went to that place, and of course a lot of the believers were real excited the opportunity you know, for a noted believer to come down there and to share. Josh... He got up on the platform, and, and, and you wouldn't believe, man, he came in and he saw that the posters they had put up of him, they had put up their um, American pig and all kinds of stuff, and, and they had ridiculed him to all the students. And every time he, he tried to say a word, they would yell at him. They'd call him names. And in their language, which he didn't understand, uh, they would say he figured it was some kind of you know cussing or certainly derogatory stuff said at him. And, and after a while, he became discouraged. Josh said, this went on for 45 minutes. He was trying to share about Jesus. But every time he tried to share something, they would somebody would jump up and scream at him. And finally, he said, God, I don't understand. He said, I know that I'm failing. He said, I'm, I'm just a big failure. Why am I even here? What in the world are you doing, God? This doesn't make any sense. But I want to share with you, this is... Uh, what happened? He says, uh, after 45 minutes of this heckling, I was ready to give up. Every time I even mentioned the name of Jesus, they laughed. And I thought, God, why aren't you doing something? Why are you letting Satan win? He says, evidently, I wasn't walking by faith. You see, God works when it brings the greatest honor and glory to his name, not to ours. Finally, God started to work. He said, the secretary of the revolutionary student movement stood up. And everyone became silent. I figured she must be someone important. She was outspoken. I didn't know what to expect. But this is what she said. Mr. McDowell, if I become a Christian tonight, will God give me the love for people that you've shown for us? Josh ended by saying, I don't have to tell you what happened. It broke everybody's heart. And 58 people made decisions for Jesus, even though I didn't say anything. What happened? 
It wasn't the glory of Josh McDowell that spoke that night. It was the glory of God that filled that place. It was the glory of God that spoke to those people. And it's His glory that He calls us to. I want to share, the time that remains, we're going to talk about a character who started out, he was a king, King Uzziah. He started out giving glory to God, but in his later years, instead of a glory reflector, he became a glory hog. And he had some bad consequences as a result. We're going to look at him. The book of Chronicles, chapter 26, we find his account. Starting at verse 1, he says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. Now that's the first thing here, guys. He started king at 16 years old. Wow. Wow. Um, Anyway, he goes on and describes all the great things he was able to accomplish says, he was the one who rebuilt Eleth and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his fathers. So he was able to restore places. And, and now look here in the next verse. It says, uh, not only did he start when he was 16, it says he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. So he had a long reign. Talks about his mother. Then verse 4, it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father. Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. What a, what a, what a key thought there. He says, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And let's just uh, breeze through here this success. Verse 6, he talks about going to war against the Philistines. Broke down the walls of Gath. <laughs> talks about rebuilding towns nearby, talks about this great victory against the Philistines, talks about tribute that was given to him by the, uh, or brought to him by the Ammonites. And then in verse 8, look at that second part. It says, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. This was a guy whom God had gifted. This was a guy whom God had blessed. This was a guy who had it together. And things were great as long as he kept his eyes on God. Things were great as long as he was a glory reflector instead of a glory hog. Um, Read on here. It tells us in verse 9 that he built these towers in Jerusalem. And he had, and then he went out, it talks about fortifying the city there. In verse 10, it also talks about him out in the desert. He dug cisterns, livestock. Uh, talks about fertile fields and vineyards, that he loved the soil. Man, he was a hands-on kind of guy. He wasn't just a king that was totally removed from hands-on type of work. Verse 11, it says that he had a well-trained army ready to go out and fight. Uh, As you go through here, you you see that he had 307,500 men who were trained for war. A powerful force. Against enemies. And then in verse 14, it talks about the military gear they had. Shields, spears, helmets, armor, bows. 
sling stones for the entire army. Man, they didn't have a low supply of, of uh, weaponry. Verse 15, it says he was even innovative. In Jerusalem, he made machines designed by skillful men for use on the towers, on the corner of defenses to shoot arrows, and herds large stones. Man, he was, he was quite the warrior, quite the king, quite the celebrity. It tells us his fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Man, what a testimony. What, what a great thing to say about this guy until you get to verse 16. Here comes the warning, a warning that we should all take to heart. It says, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What happened? He was successful. And he looked around and he said, Man, things are great because of me. Our country is thriving. Our military is strong. And it's because they have the greatest king that has ever lived. Me. He had a big case of eye trouble. Right at smack in the middle of pride, someone has said, you find I, and that was Uzziah. And he, he was so full of himself, he was ready to march right into the temple because after all, why shouldn't he? He's so great. God loves him too. Why shouldn't he take that role? Why shouldn't he march into that place? After all, he has full reign. He is king. But I want you to notice what happens. Verse 17 Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. He went into that place. He was a king. He was not a priest. That was not his domain. He was made for the palace, not for the temple. It says that they confronted him. 80 guys. Picture these 80 priests coming before him. They said, it's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That's for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who've been consecrated to burn incense. Look at the warning here. They say, leave the sanctuary. You've been unfaithful. You'll not be honored by the Lord God. So he got this warning from the priest. As we used to say where I grew up, buddy, you got too big for your britches. It's, it's, it's time to realize you're, you're not supposed to be here. But, but I want you to see his response. Eighty priests ready to rebuke him. But he was so filled with pride. He was such a glory hog instead of a glory reflector. Notice his response to them. Verse 19. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. How dare they speak to me like that? (laughs) While he was raging at the priests and their presence. No respect for the priest and thus no respect for God. Before the incense altar in the Lord's temple... Leprosy broke out on his forehead. So while he's raging, these priests, while he's letting them have it full blast, the priests see first just a little bit of leprosy breaking out on his forehead. And then it begins to engulf and to cover him. It says, when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out. Like, Get out of here, man. We don't want that. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. He had pushed out the glory of God because he was a glory hawk. 
And, and thus he ended up with this leprosy that had consumed him. What do you want to be known for when you die? I want you to notice here, uh, as we come to the end here, Verse 23, it says, Uzziah rested with his fathers and was buried near them, not with them, near them, in a field for burial that belonged to the kings. For people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. He did all those great things with God's help. But what was he remembered for? He had leprosy. What do you want to be remembered for? If you're a glory reflector, people remember Jesus in you, that you are the house of Jesus. But if you're a glory hawk, that's not what is remembered. What they remembered was that he was stricken. How many people are remembered for some bad decision, some bad choice that left God out instead of included Obedience to God. How many people are remembered for that? How many regrets are there? And 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 the the command and the hope is 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 God make me a glory reflector and not a glory hog. That's not how I want to be remembered. Um, I can't believe how many years go by, but a number of years ago, although I'm old enough, it doesn't sound that long ago. On TV, there was a popular show called the PTL Club, and Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Very popular. A lot of people watch them. Uh, there was a guy named Richard Dorch. As a matter of fact, uh, Richard Dorch died in June, just a few months ago. He was the financial administrator for the PTL club. He and Jim and Tammy Baker and a few others got together and said, we want to start this TV ministry. They had no idea how big it would become. Uh, by the time it was over... In the Charlotte newspaper, uh, of course, he ended up going to jail and spending some time. They found out that Baker had kept for himself $3.4 million. Uh, I remember in the paper I read that he had a doghouse that was air-conditioned. And uh, they had sold some more timeshares than was even possible in a resort in Charlotte, North Carolina. Matter of fact, I think one time Cindy and I even spotted Jim Baker in a mall in Asheville, North Carolina when he was under house arrest. But anyway, I say all that to say that that all started with good intentions. That all started with a desire to be God reflectors, glory reflectors, and something happened and they became glory hogs. Years later, they interviewed Richard Dorch. And I just want to read to you, this is from um, an interview with him. Here's what he said. He, he was asked, uh, what happened? And he said it was all tied to our definition of success. It was all tied to how many stations we had in our network or how big our building was. It became so easy to lose control, to compromise without recognizing it. At PTL, there was not time taken for prayer or for family because the show had to go on. We were so caught up in God's work that we forgot about God. It's so easy to get caught up in being liked that we forget about God. Now, um, as I close here, just some thoughts from Uzziah's life. Some lessons that we can learn that are inferred 
Number one, beware when greater battles are fought within instead of without. Beware when there's this battle going on with you about who should get the glory. Secondly, when the attention falls on a person instead of the Lord, look out. Beware of a person who begins to want more and more attention. Begin of a person who loves to be noticed, who loves to be liked. Because God is the one who's getting the attention. Third, when the Lord's help is not essential, we need to be careful when we're able to do stuff without God, when we're able to go through the motions without prayer, when we're able to, to not need His help, His revelation in our lives, when we're able to do this and God not even be there, His Spirit not even be a part of it. Beware, look out. Fourth, when rebukes and warnings are resisted instead of respected. Now, I understand that some people who criticize you and some people who say things to you, you don't want to listen to you because, quite frankly, they're nuts. I know that that's out there. But there are people who are respectable. People you should listen to. We should never close our ears just because we don't want to hear. We should never be above rebuke. Because quite frankly, we are all susceptible to becoming glory hogs. And so we need to listen to God's rebuke. And then lastly, beware when the consequences of sin no longer bring Uzziah should have dropped to his knees. He should have been broken. He should have been repentant. He should have been in tears. But instead, he was wailing at the priests. And thus, he was making known where the glory in his life was headed in. We have to be careful that we have a fear of God and a healthy respect for the consequences of sin. When that goes away, there's no telling what we'll do. That's a, that's a healthy thing. Isaiah 66, 2, the second part of the verse, I love it. It says, this is the one I esteem. The Lord talking. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In other words, this is the one God says He looks up to. The one who's humble. The one who's contrite in spirit. And He, he trembles. He actually shakes at God's warnings, at His rebukes. And He doesn't just kind of laugh it off. Yeah, yeah, sure. One day I'll get things right. No, tremble, shake. God's God. Revere Him. His glory is worship. He's the one. He's the one. I want to close uh, with an example of crowns. We think of crowns, we think of kings. We think of some of the greatest rulers and monarchs in history um, and the majesty of the crown placed upon the head of that ruler that that signified I am the one who deserves the glory, who deserves the attention. Uh, some examples of that. Richard the Lionheart. His crown was so heavy, he had to have an earl on each side of him to hold his head because the crown was too heavy for him to hold his head up by himself. It was said that Queen Elizabeth's crown was worth over $20 million. Edward II owned nine crowns at one point. Crowns to say, look at me. And then in comparison to that, we think of the king of kings and his crowns. Um, 
2 Timothy 4.8, we talk about a crown of righteousness that awaits those who love Jesus. He is the King of kings with a crown of righteousness. Then it talks about a crown of glory in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. The crown of glory meant for the Lord Jesus. A crown of life in James uh, chapter 1, verse 12. And then in, I think it's a Revelation 2 or, or 3, one of those. That speak of the crown of life. And the King of kings. And then there's the crown of peace and power spoken of in Revelation chapter 6. Verse 2. But maybe the one that most shows Jesus submitting to the Father. Jesus fulfilling His task of obedience. It's the cross. I'm talking, of course, of the crown of thorns. And this is from a, a, a message another preacher had shared that speaks about that. He says, uh, Among the crowns, however, one outshines the rest. It is not formed by the skilled fingers of a silversmith, nor created by the genius of a craftsman. It was put together hurriedly by the rough hands of Roman soldiers. It was not placed upon its wearer's head in pomp and ceremony, but in the hollow mockery of ridicule and blasphemy. It is a crown of thorns. The amazing thing is that it belonged to me. I deserve to wear that crown. I deserve to feel the thrust of the thorns. I deserve to feel the warm trickle of blood upon my brow. I deserve the pain. He took my crown of thorns, but without compensation, he offers to me instead his crown of life, the crown of righteousness conferred to you and me, the crown that does not fade away. Let's pray. Lord, here we are. I guess the question is evident. Am I a glory hog? Or a glory reflector. You are the only one who deserves glory, O oh God. Who is like you? O oh, King of glory, you are the King of glory. Father, here we are and we worship you. Father, we are, our hope is not found in our strength. Our hope is found in you. Our hope is not found in our resourcefulness. Our hope is found in your unfailing love. And Father, I pray that you bring us to a recognition of you and your matchless glory. Father, I pray this morning as we have an altar that's open, a place to pray. Maybe, Father, you've spoken to the hearts of your people to come and to pray and to say, I'm tired of being a glory hog. Father, may the glory turn toward you instead of me. Maybe there's one here who has never simply bowed to the one of glory. To the love of the Father shown through Jesus Christ who has just said, I need a Savior. I need Jesus in my life. Enter me. Make me new. Father, I pray that one be here that you would bring them to you, Lord. And that you would give them courage to step out, to come before the body of Christ and to say, Jesus is in my heart now. I want to be baptized and follow Him. God, we want You to receive the glory. Maybe there's another area where You need the glory, Lord, where we have closed You off, and now the call of Your Spirit says, let me in. I pray that would occur in this sacred time, Lord, that You 
would be the focus of glory. In whose name we pray, amen.